finish the chapter, uh, Lord willing. I think it's important as we enter this section that we keep it in context of what is being said here. This is the beginning of the ministry of Christ. And he has uh, been baptized. He has gone into the wilderness, a deserted place, alone for 40 days, 40 nights, fasting and being tempted by the devil. But in verse 14, it says that he returned in the power of the Holy Spirit to Galilee. And we're going to see here that he sets up his headquarters, as it were, in the city of Capernaum, and he begins his ministry. Now, his ministry is more than just the ministry. It is an illustration of what uh, he is embodied in his experience uh, in the desert. He returns in the power of the Spirit. Jesus spent three and a half years ministering on this earth to the nation of Israel in the power of the Spirit. And this, he is a template for us who are part of his body now to minister in the same power and in the same spirit in which he ministered. And so as we pick it up, let's read through 31 through 37 to begin with here. I'll spend most in the bulk of our time in the first part of the message here uh, in this particular uh, paragraph. In verse 31, we read, Then he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and was teaching them on the Sabbath. And they were astonished at his teaching, for his word was with authority. And now in the synagogue there was a man who had a spirit of an unclean demon. And he cried out with a loud voice, saying, Let us alone. What do we have to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come here to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him in their midst, and it came out of him and did not hurt him. And when they were all amazed and spoke among themselves, saying, What a word is this? For with authority the power... And power he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. And the report about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. So we see here that Jesus set up his headquarters there in Capernaum. And and this was an important settlement. If you look at a map and you uh, can see the travel routes from Egypt to Damascus or to Syria went through this area. And so Jesus actually set up headquarters there in Capernaum, which would have been in the northwest side or corner, if you, want, if you will, uh, of the Sea of Galilee. It is believed this is where Peter lived uh, there uh, on the uh, nice little inheritance there on in the lake, uh, perfect for fishermen <laughs> to live on the lake. And, uh, and of course, right there beside, not too far, according to uh, actually archaeological findings, uh, are the... Um, ruins of 
the, the synagogue in which uh, was there located near Peter's house. And so uh, it was an important city in that regard. There was a lot of work done there uh, by Jesus, and, uh, but it was considered his home. Uh, you know, we can kind of get that from Mark chapter 2, verse 1. The healing of the centurion took place there. They had a little outpost, if you will, there. Uh, um, his mother-in-laws will uh, read, uh, gets healed <laughs> in the house there. Uh, there's the, the casting out of demons taking place. I mean, this is a, just a real busy place to be. And uh, God chose this uh, as a special place. And you can kind of get this a little bit from the name. And I like, you know how I like names and I like definitions and what they mean. Uh, Capernaum comes from two words, caper and nahum. And caper means house or village. And then, of course, Nahum means comfort or consolation. So Jesus set up his headquarters uh, uh, appropriately uh, out of the house of comfort. Uh, Nahum actually is a shortened version of Nehemiah, which means uh, comfort of Yahweh. And so we have Jesus setting up his headquarters to minister comfort to the people uh, during his three-and-a-half-year ministry, uh, earthly ministry. I do find it interesting uh, with these names, you know, Bethlehem, for example. Uh, it's the house of bread. Well, what better place for the bread of life to be born than the uh, place called Bethlehem, the house of bread. So the Savior, the Messiah, born in the house of bread, ministering out of the house of comfort. How appropriate, right? And, uh, you know, we have to understand that uh, this is a fulfillment of his ministry that was prophesied uh, by Isaiah, Isaiah 61, uh, verses 1 and 2. And we pick that up in verse 18, if you look over the column uh, from where we're at there. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and to recover sight to the blind and set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And then uh, it goes on to saying to comfort all who mourn. And that part is left out and we'll uh, discuss that a little bit here as we move through this here. He actually uh, began his ministry of bringing comfort to the people here, but we know that that ministry was cut short. Uh, he was rejected by the Jews, and the kingdom that he was offering legitimately to the Jewish nation was re not received. It was not consummated at his first coming. Uh, so he started the ministry of comfort, and he will finish it when he returns again the second time, and he does set up his kingdom. Uh, the thing about the kingdom of God, as Jesus said, as John said, the kingdom of God was at hand. It was near, and it was there for the offering. It was there for the taking, but it wasn't the kind of kingdom that they were expecting. They were expecting a horizontal, physical kingdom to be established by the Messiah outright as it is appearing. But that was not God's plan. He needed people that would be ready for his kingdom. And so the spiritual aspect in the need of man is always uppermost. It is always first addressed by God, then the physical. And so the first and most and foremost need that man has is the need of forgiveness, the need to have sin uh, taken away and to be atoned for. And so Jesus was meeting the people on a spiritual level in, in 
announcing the kingdom. And the thing about the kingdom of God uh, then and now is that if we receive the kingdom of God into our hearts, uh, we receive the comfort that comes with that, the forgiveness of our sins. Think about when we sin. Now, if you were like me, I didn't come to the Lord until I was 18, so I had a huge, huge load of guilt. And so when I received forgiveness the very first time, it was like a massive dump off my conscience and my soul. And it was almost like I felt it physically just leave and the peace of God descended. That was comforting. And that's what we're talking about here. You know, when you think about the um, how guilt uh, robs us of so much uh, of joy and peace that we should be experiencing. And if we do something, you know, because we're fallen and we get angry and we say things and do things we ought not on occasion and we feel bad and, you know, and the longer you carry that, it's just it's kind of like a repeating thought pattern just around and around and around in your mind. And, and then you finally just realize you just need to confess it and get it right with God. And when you do that, what happens? There's a peace. There's a joy. It returns. And so this is the process that we go through uh, over and over uh, while we're making our journey uh, to heaven. And this is um, an important thing that we experience as believers, the comfort of God. You know, this is, is this not what the Holy Spirit is called? The Holy Comforter, the one who abides within us. We need this. Um, I think every church body, every assembly that names the name of Christ should be a house of comfort. I think it's important that when people come that they have a place where they can commune with God, make sure they get, they get things right with God, they can commune in their hearts, confess, and get things right. This doesn't have to be done and should not be necessarily done openly. It should be that that's why we take time to pray. Lord, I just want to have things right with you. Wash me, cleanse me. I want to hear your voice. I want to draw near. I want to be comforted and blessed in your presence. That's why we uh, do what we do here. We take the time to get our hearts right with God. If someone sinned against us, we forgive. If we we see, you know, forgive, uh, sin against someone else, we seek them uh, out and ask forgiveness from them, that kind of thing. It's putting into practice what we know the Bible tells us to do. Um, and so anyway, as we, uh, as, as I said earlier, as we work through this passage, we're going to see this power of the Holy Spirit uh, that was upon Jesus made manifest. What does that really look like? Is this power of the Spirit uh, we see today, these fellas on TV uh, prancing up and down the stage and, and you know, breaking out their uh, handkerchiefs and wiping their brow with sweat and, and, and all emotional. I, you know, I, I'm not sure <laughs> if that's really the power of the Holy Spirit. I doubt some of that. I think it's a, a lot of show. I think it's the, the acting of preaching, the art of preaching. Now, don't get me wrong. Uh, we, sometimes we get a little loud, and we can get excited. And I'm not condemning that at all. I'm just saying, you know, that is not, um, that's, that's almost in some ways counterfeit. And, and I think it's important that we understand uh, this concept very well. It's an important concept the power of the Holy Spirit in the scriptures. I think the Apostle Paul had this uh, concept deeply rooted in his own life, in his own heart, uh, along with the love of God. I think uh, these two were center 
in uh, front and center of his ministry as a leader within the church, as a church planner, a minister of the gospel. In writing to the Corinthians and writing to the Thessalonians, uh, Paul says this uh, in 1 Thessalonians 1.5, for example, <clears throat> our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power, in the Holy Spirit, and in much assurance, as we know, as you know, what kind of men we were among you for his sake, or for your sake. And then in 1 Corinthians 2, 1 through 5, we read uh, similar. And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech, or the wisdom declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling, and my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And this is the motive that is in the heart of the true minister of God. They want to bring forth the word with authority and with power and in demonstration of the Holy Spirit so that you're not looking to them, but you're trusting in God. That's what this is about. He also says it in, in 1 Corinthians 4.20, For the kingdom of God is not word, but in power. There should be a manifestation. There should be a power being demonstrated through the ministries that God has called various pastors to. I think a lot of what's going on in the church today uh, lacks that. I think that's an easy... Um, thing to say, but it's a little easy to criticize that way. But I know one thing, I don't want to be in that category. I want it to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And I pray every time, and if you're a Bible teacher, you pray the same thing. Every time you bring forth the word, Lord, let it come in power and clarity so that the hearer's faith may be in you and not in man. That's the important thing. And so every time we meet in our prayers, we're praying for his presence. We're praying that he would manifest his power and extend his mercy and grace to meet the needs of the people. We are a needy people. Jesus came to earth. Why? Because humanity was in deep trouble. We are on our way to hell and we need a deliverance. We need a deliverance from sin to, to heal the brokenhearted, to set the captives free. I mean, this is the ministry of the Spirit. We cannot extricate ourselves from the guilt of sin or the, or the plague of sin that's upon us. We must receive God's help. His touch is what we seek. It's His touch is what we need. And I actually am of the opinion that we actually uh, are not aware uh, uh, of how great our need really is. I don't think we realize how great our need is for God. We really, we should be uh, as a poor beggar who hasn't eaten for days, desiring food, knows that unless he eats soon, he will die. And so there's a desperation that sets in his heart and mind, I need food. This past week, we, uh, one of the kids was coming to our assembly where we were close, getting ready to eat, overeat, <laughs> essentially. <laughs> Oh, that's rough, isn't it? Sometimes, <laughs> stop. <laughs> but it tastes so good. 
and you're driving by and there's a fellow sitting in his chair at the end of his driveway and he's, he's an older gentleman. He's in pretty rough shape. He's by himself and it's heartbreaking when people ha- are isolated and by themselves uh, over these holiday periods. I mean, that's, you know, our ears should pick up, perk up a little bit and pay attention. If there are people around our area and within our sphere and we come across them, you know, maybe we could be the an instrument by which God brought comfort to them and help to them. And anyway, that's, at any rate, that's what was going on here. Uh, they stopped and he asked for help. He was so weak, he couldn't hardly, he, he told them that he couldn't hardly walk up uh, his driveway to his home. And so they had a carload of kids and all, so they said, just a couple blocks from where we were at. And so they decided, just give us a few minutes, we'll go unload and we'll come back. And so uh, we took some food to this guy. And uh, that's how it's supposed to work. You just try to, you just give what you have. Share what you have. People are in great need. He knew how, what he needed and he was unashamed to ask for it. Sometimes, Again, that's why we don't realize how deep our need is. Where Sometimes we fail to ask God for his help, and we need to ask him. Everything that we receive from God must be asked for. That's what prayer is. It's simply ask, seek, and knock. God has it, we need it, and he will give it appropriately to us if we simply ask him in humility. You know... This whole thing of knowing your need, you know, and Luke, we're going to get into this next chapter, actually, uh, Luke 5, 17. Uh, here's a good example. And it happened on a certain day as he was teaching that there were Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting by who had come out of every town of Galilee, Judea, and Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was present to heal them. Let me ask you, were these people healed? Well, not doesn't really look like they were. If you look at what happened afterwards... Oh, Jesus is casting these demons out by Beelzebub. Uh, that would indicate to me that they didn't actually believe they needed to be healed. We're the leaders. We have need, we're sons of Abraham. We're, we're in need of nothing, you know. We're the children of God. We've got this wired. Who are you, Jesus? You know, and it really starts with leadership. How many leaders? It's so easy for us to fall into that trap that I don't really need the same gospel that I'm preaching that the other people need, that these people need. And there's this separation between the laity, you know, and the clergy. <laughs> it's not found in Scripture, by the way. Jesus is not ashamed to call us what? Brothers and sisters. If the God of heaven will condescend to our level and associate with us on the level of brothers and sisters, how is it that we could create a hierarchy within our relationships? God, may it be far from us. Leaders sometimes are in greater need than the people that they're ministering to, if the truth be known. Why else do they fall? Why, why are, are there moral failures from the pulpit ministry? Is because something is awry. They're failing to abide in the word as we are commanded to. No matter what your ministry may be, that is the command to his children. You know, if I don't understand my need to be healed, my need as an individual to be ministered to, how is it that I could bring healing and restoration to anybody else? 
that, as Paul said, that which I received from the Lord, I imparted to you. And that's the way it's supposed to be. You can't, it's really hard to give something you don't have. Uh, and if you try to, that's called phoniness. This is why I really love the Old Testament a lot. I love, I love the stories that are there. They're written, for example, we know that. But these guys are real. And, and I, like, like Gideon, for example. This guy was raised up by a judge to del- deliver the Israelites at the time uh, from the Midianites who were stealing all their food, the grain. Nobody likes to have their food taken away. You're, you know, sweating, working hard, and then someone comes along and just steals your produce. You know, he wasn't having it. So the best thing he could come up with, probably because he thought he was outnumbered, was, hey, they're never going to look in the wine press while I'm thrashing out the wheat. I'm going to just hide. And I love this guy. I probably would have done the same thing. <laughs> and I, th- I got I to gotta imagine that this guy's got a conversation going on in his head. Man, I'm going to hide out from these guys. I hate these Midianites. Why is it that I have to work so hard and threshing wheat in this stupid... Just something like that, maybe, right? And then guess who shows up? The angel's Lord. Hey, what's going on, man? (laughs) Well, you mighty man of valor. (laughs) Now, actually, I'm a coward. I'm hiding. Don't you get it? Do something about this. Well, you know, he just breaks right out. I mean, this is the angel of the Lord, the guy that, that has a shining face and there's something really special about him. And like, you kind of know that when you see him. And there's an intimidation there that's beyond words. And he says, um, well, you know, where are all the miracles that our fathers talked about? Where is the Lord? Why is this happening to us? I love this guy. He's not holding back. He's letting God know exactly how he feels and what he's thinking about. And I got a feeling that all that stuff that was racing through his mind, that's why the Lord came to him at that point. Do something about it. I'm going to empower you to do something about it. This is what is kind of disturbing in our time. When people see needs in the body of Christ, well, somebody needs to do this. You ever think maybe you see that need because God's speaking to you because you need to do something about that. And, and, then, 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 and then, well, then that puts it in perspective. Well, maybe they don't need that done. So that's usually, uh, that is a general reminder. Sometimes that's why the Lord shows us individually um, things that need to be done because he's speaking to our hearts to, to maybe step up and do them. Um, Every one of us have a running dialogue, I think, in our minds about certain things that are going on in our life. And I think it's important to do and to act as Gideon did. We need to ask the Lord those questions. Where are all your miracles? Why is this happening to us? Those are sobering questions. Those are heartfelt questions. And if we will wait on those answers, they will come. Now notice if you go back and you know read that in Judges about Gideon, you'll notice that the angel of the Lord does not directly answer those questions. He basically says in so many words, you do something about it, I'm going to be with you. 
First thing I want you to do is tear down the idols. And then there's a list of things that he, he follows through and he does it. But every step along the way, he's got issues of faith, but God works with him gently. He gives him a dream. He gives him, you know, the, the wet and the dry ground and the signs. He, he caters to him. Notice that's, that's our God. He's gentle and he's kind and he's firm. And he knows our frame. And you don't need to be intimidated about having a conversation with God about how you really feel. He knows you're grumbling inside sometimes. It's okay. Be real. Be honest. But be willing to be checked and directed by him to deal with uh, whatever issues may be in your life. I actually think, in reality, this is how we make progress. If we don't have this kind of interaction with the Lord, then we're not going to get the results that we would hope for. I don't think Gideon, the story of Gideon, would have ever been uh, written for us or would have actually taken place in history had he not been real and bring those questions forward. He would have been just stuck in his little, you know, echo chamber just going through the motions complaining and griping about how rough it was and how the you know the present administration isn't doing enough to take care of our needs and you know that kind of a thing here's the, here's the thing that we have to be careful of and especially in leadership paul acts 28 he's been in prison for incarcerated by rome for a couple of years and he's now uh, in chains in Rome. And he will be released in the future, but this is kind of how the end of the book of Acts ends. And when he gets there, as Paul's uh, manner is, it's always the Jew first with the gospel, then the Gentile afterwards, right? And so in chapter uh, 28, verses 23 through 29, uh, the Jews appointed him a day, and he's basically telling them, you know, how he got here, and he assumes that they have heard about him and uh, why he was uh, become a political pawn. And they don't. And so they appointed him a day so he can share what he'd been sharing throughout the Roman Empire and planting all these churches. And so they appointed him a day. Many of them came to him at his lodging. And he explained and solemnly testified of the kingdom of God, persuading them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and the prophets, explaining to them, uh, that Jesus was the Messiah. And some of them were persuaded by the things which were spoken, and some disbelieved. And so when they did not agree among themselves, they departed after Paul and said one word. The Holy Spirit spoke rightly through Isaiah to our fathers, saying, Go to this people, and hearing you will hear, and you shall not understand, and seeing you will see, and not perceive. For the hearts of this people have grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts, and turn, so that I should heal them. And so Paul said, you know, therefore God has sent salvation to the Gentiles because they rejected. The point here is that too much is given, much is required. The Jews were given the oracles of God. They were given the scriptures. 
They were given the, the way in which Yahweh was to be worshipped and approached. They had the inside track to fellowship with God. And they were to be witnesses and light to the world. And they failed miserably. And so the church has really failed miserably as well. That's why I encourage people that criticize the church not to look at the church when they judge Christianity. That's really sad because the church, church history is dismal. It's horrible so many ways. You know, fallen man has abused the authority that's been given to us. It seems to be the testimony. But it doesn't have to be that way. We can have faith and we can turn to God with all our hearts. We can believe him. And this is what it takes. And this is one of the things that I'm concerned about as I read the scriptures and I see the ministry of Christ. It's really quite simple. Teach, heal, cast out demons, preach the gospel. It's the power of God. Why do we compliment? Oh, we need this program. We need this program. Oh, we got to minister to this specific group in the church. You know, and, and, and the, you know, we've commercialized church in America. We've, it's kind of like going to a restaurant. Let's pull out the menu. I want this, this, and this. Oh, well, I don't go to the, I'm not going, I'm not going to go to that restaurant because I don't like that stuff. Well, it's your choice. It's, people look at the church like it's a restaurant almost. It's kind of sad. Well, does the church you go to preach the gospel? Are they a praying people that cast out demons? Is there healing taking place in the church? Are the people being saved? Is the gospel really being preached? This is what needs to happen. But why, why, why don't those things happen? That's the Gideon question, right? Why isn't God's power made manifest? And then we have different ways of describing that power. Well, let's not go beyond what's here, okay? It's not, well, as soon as, you know, is it people falling down? In the presence of God, being slain in the spirit, is that, that really the manifest of God's power? If you have it, well, that's up to you. That's an experience, but it's not the power of God per se. I mean, we, people do funny things and respond in different ways from the presence of the Lord. But are there changed lives? Is love filling your heart and directing your life? Is your motive really out of love to serve God and to serve people? See, this is the true test of whether the power of God is at work. It's not word only. Notice Jesus' ministry was not word only, but in word and deed. We need both. Power and demonstration of the Spirit. So consider the prayers that we pray. I believe we're to live with expectation. You know, he's, we are exhorted in the scripture to pray incredible things sometimes. Call unto me and I will show you great and mighty things, things that you do not know. Is there anything too hard for the Lord our God? Well, I don't know if God would want to do that. Well, let's find out. Why not? Let's just go for it. I mean, that's the, I think we're to come to church with expectation. Well, I've asked the Lord to heal me several times and he hasn't done it yet. Well, why stop praying? Why stop seeking? There's a woman who had an infirmity for 18 years. Do you think she prayed for 18 years? I got a, I got a feeling she did. 
But she finally ran into Jesus and she received. I don't know why God waits. Is it a test? Possibly. I don't understand how prayer works exactly. But I know I'm commanded to do it. And I'm commanded to believe and trust. And as I pray, I've noticed things. I pray about something two or three times. I kind of know whether or not it's God's will. And after two or three times of praying about something and I sense that it's not God's will, I stop praying it. So therefore, I know that one's not going to happen because he's shown me by his spirit that that's not his will. On the other hand, there are some things I've prayed for hundreds of times. And I know them to be God's will, but they have not been answered up to that point. I prayed for my mother for 23 years and she came to faith before she passed. I prayed for one of my daughters to be married for many years and she finally got married. And I know that was God's will. But how many, you know, how many times I said, well, why, what's the deal here? You know, I want results. <laughs> you know, that's, that's why we pray, man. We, we want results. And so when I don't receive the results and answers to my prayer, then it's, it's introspection and it's inquiry. You know, okay, what's going on here, Lord? And sometimes he shows me and sometimes he doesn't. So until he, he shows me differently, I keep praying for those things that are important. We're not to lose heart. We're to always be steadfast, you know, faith, hope, and love, right? Those are the greatest things. I trust God. I hope he's going to work this out. I have faith. The greatest thing is love, as always. So as we look at this particular scripture here, because I... No, obviously you look at this and here we go again talking about demons. Oh boy. <laughs> really? Yes, really. <laughs> you know, this is this is something that the the western culture in our scientific technological materialistic mind ignore. That's probably a kind way of saying it. You go to third world countries and is demon possession is overt. It's like Whoa, it's pretty obvious. That guy, the foam coming out, I think there's a problem there. You know, it's pretty obvious. We, why don't we see that in America? Well, it's here. We, don't, we look the other way or we drug it so it's incapacitated. You know, those are the kind of things that we do and we, and we just, we're, we're self-centered and we just don't really pay attention. And I think there's a disconnect in the church, generally speaking, between thinking on those terms of the, what goes on in the unseen. We're not here. We're not alone here, right? There's an unseen realm. There's an influence from the spiritual realm. And because we're so earthly-minded, we don't really think about what's going on in the unseen realm. And the unseen realm would be not only where God dwells in heaven above, but that realm between heaven and earth, apparently, the prince and power of the air, that, that realm, where the demonic uh, beings exist and have their, uh, uh, do their work. And we're going to see here, uh, very simply, the authority that Jesus exercised and is really understanding it's the same authority that we have as believers. The, what we would consider maybe the weakest brother or sister in the faith has more authority over the devil than they realize. Anyone, anyone who is born again and filled with the Holy Spirit 
can cast out a demon. And we should not be, we rebuke it in Jesus' name. Because it's not us doing the work. It's the power of, of the Spirit. It's the Spirit of Christ who, who rebukes, who, who casts these demons out. He rebuked the unclean spirit and he said, be muzzled. Stop talking, essentially. He spoke to the demon because the demon had taken control of this person's body. Now, this is a mystery. And I think this is the kind of thing uh, that comes about. We, we don't really understand it. And so whatever we don't understand, we naturally draw back and draw away from. And that's not all bad because it's good not to exercise your things, yourself in things you don't understand. But God can give us enough understanding. We don't have to understand everything. We have to understand it. That person who is possessed by a demon is in severe pain. And that is not God's will. And if I have the authority in Jesus, being a son of God and a servant of Jesus, I have the ability and the authority given to me by God to do something about that, then I should do something about that. And that's what we're talking about here. It's out of love. These lives are being destroyed by these these demons, these unclean spirits, which, by the way, demons and unclean spirits are sort of interchangeable terms. This demon responded to the authority of Jesus. The demons will respond to your authority. They just will. It's an amazing thing. Some of you know of my experiences in Africa where it's well over. Well, let's, let's talk about this a, a little bit. You know, there's a few things that need to be mentioned here because, you know, God doesn't want us to be ignorant. When it comes to demon possession, um, people are vexed, they're oppressed, they're tormented, they're possessed. Okay. Well, how about Christians? You know, all those kind of questions. And some of this you guys already know because we've gone through it before. Uh, but some of you need to be uh, taught and understand. And, and then with this knowledge should come a peace and should come a, a confidence in the authority that you have as a Christian. The word that's used about demons and their activity is deonizamai. And essentially, this is their work. This is what they do. They vex, they oppress, they torment, and they seek to possess. Now remember, demons lie. They lie in hypocrisy. They teach, they seduce, and they deceive. They're not good entities by any stretch. They, this activity of demonization, and I'll transliterate it, is against humanity. It doesn't matter your social status at all. They're looking, these disembodied spirits are looking for a host. And they want to move in and take up residence in human beings. Now that's weird, isn't it? Now we don't really think it's weird that when we get saved and we're born again that we're given the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit fills us. And we we're perfectly fine with that. Hallelujah. I'm glad he does. I need him. But when it comes to the dark side, whoa, that's kind of weird. Really? I don't understand how a spiritual, another spiritual entity can enter my body. I'm body, soul, and spirit. How does that work? I don't know. That's, that's, That's really 
mysterious. It's a mystery. But this is what we see here. Matthew 12.43 gives us a little insight. When an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through dry places seeking rest and he finds none. And then he says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when he comes, he finds it empty, swept, and put in order. And then he goes and takes with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself. And they enter and dwell there. The last state of the man is worse than the first. And so shall it be with this wicked generation. So these are inc- this is an incredibly insightful scripture. Apparently, more than one spirit, unclean spirit, can enter into a human body. Now, you, so you have the soul of that person, and you have they have their spiritual in nature, and yet we have an invasion of other spiritual entities, and that's uh, that's troubling to us, and and also troubling to the person that it happens to. So the question is, uh, where did they come from? A lot of people want to know that, and. The Jews referred to demons as bastard spirits because they believed that they were disembodied spirits from the flood. Whoa, 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 what? Yeah. So if you go, you study Genesis 6 and you see that there was a union between fallen angels and human women. And they cohabitated in marriage and they had offspring. And the offspring were referred to as the Nephilim. These were a hybrid being. They're part human and part angelic. At the flood, all living creatures died. So these Nephilim, the offspring, died and their spirits were, disem- they were disembodied. They had no body. They are looking for a body. I believe this is what they are. There are those who think demons are angels. First of all, number one, God doesn't make anything that's evil or bad. Well, you say, well, they they turned on God. Well, that's true. Well, here's another mysterious thing. How is it that angels can manifest themselves in this realm? How is it that certain angels have the authority and the ability given by God to manifest in this sphere, this biological realm as men, and could cohabitate and produce an offspring. That's pretty sci-fi in my mind. But that's what the Bible teaches. Even though I can't get a grip on how that could possibly be, I think that's what the Bible teaches. Now, angels can come and go. They, don't, they have a body. They, are not dis, they were not disembodied at the flood. They just left the scene. They're, they have the ability to go in and out of this realm, from what I understand. Consider Daniel's experience if you want to study a little bit more about that whole thing. The thing about demon possession in Christians, so just understand this. There are people who backslide, and so sin, sin, uh, they're not dealing with sin. A Christian who does not deal with sin in their life, they don't deal with the guilt, they don't deal with their rebellion, all those kinds of things. Sin does not break relationship. It breaks fellowship with God. So they're, they're at a distance. You know, Peter, Peter followed the Lord at a distance. And, you know, the greater the distance you get in your heart from the Lord, the more susceptible you are to satanic attack. The satanic attack is the same whether you're a believer or an unbeliever. 
You're demonized. You're going to be. There's one difference between the true born again believer and the and the non Christian, and that is possession. It is ownership. He owns and he takes up residence in the unsaved. He cannot take up residence in the Christian. The Holy Spirit and the devil are not going to be in the same house at the same time. Not going to happen. No matter how weak and how messed up a true born-again Christian may be, he will not be possessed. Now, he may manifest some things that look fairly demonic because he's allowed these strongholds to be undealt with in his life. And he's under the influence of the flesh. And he's acting out accordingly. So I hope that brings a little clarity on, on that issue. I think it's important to understand that. Um, moving on. Um, when you start teaching like Jesus taught, <laughs> and you start demonstrating the power of the Holy Spirit through your ministry of casting out demons and bringing healing to people, it's not going to remain quiet for long. I mean, people, and this is what it tells. The report of him, verse 37, went to every place in the surrounding region. You know, people's needs are being met. People are going to come to a place where their needs are being met. And uh, hopefully people understand what their needs are, right? So they can be met. Verses 38 and 39, uh, Peter, he leaves the synagogue. And if, if, if archaeology is correct, and I've been there, I actually actually taught in that little, the ruins of that little synagogue there in Capernaum. So I've got this in my mind on the layout. You know, the, the, the synagogue here is what's left of it, which is basically mostly the floor and a little bit of the one wall. And then across towards the lake... Uh, it w- was uh, what they believed to be Peter's residence. So Jesus left the synagogue, walked over there, and when he gets there, uh, the mother-in-law is, uh, has a high fever. And the thing I want to point out here is that, um, number, one, number one, and this is important, they ask for prayer. They ask Jesus if he would help. Just so you know, the leadership in the church or for whoever's going to pray for you doesn't know you're sick. You need to ask for prayer. It says in Timothy that if there's any sick among you, let them do what? Call for the elders. We're not mind readers. We, you need to ask to be prayed for. And, and if we are of the nature of Christ, we'll be glad to do that. And we want to do that. But that's important. Jesus didn't walk in there. I'm sure he probably could see it right off, right off the bat. Oh, wow. She's sick. But he was asked first. Second thing is, he rebuked a fever. Really? You rebuke a fever? I re- you know, I've received rebukes. I know what that is. I don't like that. Why would, you know, and I've rebuked others probably too. Um, do you rebuke a cold? I, you know, I, this is, I don't get it, okay? I, I'm just saying, so is there a connection between the infirmities that we experience in our human bodies? Is the devil, is the spiritual realm, are the demons able to inflict humankind with disease and sicknesses as fevers or other things? And I think it's pretty easy to answer that when you read the scriptures, right? Yeah. Do I understand it? No, not really. 
but I'm going to just stand on the promise that I have authority as a Christian to pray and to have this removed because it's coming from the dark realm. They're invaders. They're trespassers. Get out. No, 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 no. Right? You know, you're going to let some guy off the street walk into your house and just, you know, have at it and dig whatever they want? No. Get out. Right? We have to stand our ground. Oh, well, I don't know. I don't really understand. You, you should understand it now. Do it. Stand your, stand your ground. Take authority. Do what you know is, needs to be done. Because God has given that to you and to me. So Jesus rebuked the fever. In verses 41, 40 and 41, so this word's getting out, uh, and they bring uh, people from all over. And when the sun was setting, all those who had any were sick with various diseases brought them to him, and he laid hands on every one of them and healed them. And the demons also came out of many, crying out, saying, You are the Christ, the Son of God. And he, rebuking them, did not allow them to speak, for they knew that he was the Christ. Jesus doesn't need the devil to testify to his reality and to his person. Creation speaks. We, his children, should speak. The demons, not so much. Now, you notice that they brought him at evening. They probably would have brought him sooner, but it was the Sabbath. So you can't be dragging people around during the Sabbath accordingly because that would be considered work. So let's just wait till the sun's down. Okay, guys, let's go. <laughs> Start bringing the people. <laughs> and, um, you know, the love of God. He healed them all. It says, notice it says there, all those who had, those who had any, that were sick. So there's people in chronic pain and suffering. It wasn't maybe like Peter's mother-in-law who had a fever. Doesn't seem to lend itself to that there. But these are others. These people are carrying this stuff. You know, there's spiritual sickness in the world. There's physical sickness in the world. And the same in the, in the body of Christ. I mean, I think about the afflictions that have taken place. And, and there are many, in fact, I've got word this morning, there's several people out today with sicknesses. I mean, stuff's going around. We're into that season. How much is the enemy involved in that? I don't know. But I can tell you when I get sick or I start to feel that way, that's the first thing I do. So is this of you or is this of the devil? And I'm going to stand my ground. I'm going to clean up my diet. I'm going to take some, make sure I'm taking my vitamins. I'm going to do my best with the, my knowledge that I know what I'm supposed to do and taking care of my vessel. You know, if you take care of your horse, you're going to get a lot more work out of your horse, okay? So you've got to take care of yourself. Garbage in, you're going to feel like garbage. You've, you, want to, you eat well, you eat right, you're going to feel better. So... Then I want to discern if it's from the enemy, I'm going to stand against it. In fact, I just make that a regular practice. I just stand against that, whether I know it for sure or not, because then I know I've got that base covered. <laughs> stand your ground. And then lastly, and we'll close here. 
Now when it was day, he departed and went to the deserted place. And the crowd sought him and came to him and tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said, I must preach the kingdom of God to other cities also, because for this purpose I have been sent. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Galilee. And so uh, the crowds are seeking after Jesus. And what? And actually the way this is kind of written is funny. They're, they're trying to track him down. Where are you at, Jesus? And I think this is a beautiful thing. It's a good thing to track Jesus down, <laughs> to seek God. We're commanded to seek his face, to, to find, find him. You know, if we search for him, as it t- tells us in, in um, Jeremiah 29, if we uh, seek him with all our heart, then we're going to be found. He'll reveal himself to us. But it has to come from the heart. So these people, now here's the thing. Why do we seek the Lord? This is an important thing. There are people who just come to church for various, uh, various reasons. Is everybody that darkens the door of the churches in the world, are they seeking Jesus to know him or for what he possibly can deliver to them? What is the motive? What is my motive for seeking the Lord? And this is not something that anyone can answer but ourselves. But was it because, well, we want more people healed. That's good. More people need to be healed. More people need to meet Jesus. Or was it because they wanted something from him that they knew he could provide for them? What is the motive? This is an important thing. They didn't want him to leave town. You know, he's a handy guy to have around, you know. Anybody needs sick, he'll take care of it. You don't know anything about the Bible, he'll just tell you. I mean, it's, you know, he, he's a special guy, right? We get it. You know, it tells us in another place that you know, Jesus revealed it to him. He says, you, you, you only came back because I fed you yesterday. You know, you know that these, are self, these are scriptures that cause us to examine ourselves before the Lord. Why am I praying this? Why am I asking God for this? And I... Uh, I think about what I pray, and I thank God some, that he shows me sometimes my prayers are totally off the wall, and I don't pray them anymore, and so it's important. Uh, to um, here's, here's what I want to end with, because this is an important thing to understand the nature and character of our God, and how much he loves us. He knows our frame, but we're, and that we're dust, and so he, he doesn't get mad at us for being who we are but he shows us who we are so he can do that transforming work in our lives that are, that is necessary again jeremiah 29 10 to 14 i know the thoughts that i think towards you says the lord thoughts of peace not of evil to give you a future and a hope now think in context of what we're going through as a nation doesn't look too f- Looks pretty rough if you think about what's going on right now. That's not God's. That's not an issue to God. I have a future for you. I have a future for you that's going to blow your mind. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man the things that I have prepared for those who love me. Wow, not awesome. To give you a future and a hope. But here's here's our job. Then you will call upon me, 
and you will go and pray to me and I will listen to you and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart and I will be found by you says the Lord and I will bring you back from your captivity I'm going to help you with your problems I'm going to set you free and I'm going to give you life I want to close with this scripture in Malachi because I think this is important uh, another important concept of what God thinks of you and me and how much he loves us you know, to love the Lord is to fear the Lord, right? Malachi 3.16 Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another and the Lord listened and heard them. And so a book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord and those who meditate on his name. And they shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts. On the day when I make, up, make them my jewels, I will spare them as a man spares his own son who serves him, then they will begin to discern between the righteous and the wicked, between the one who serves God and the one who does not serve him. But notice what it says here. The Lord's listening to our conversation. You know, it's, as we would put it, it's like, what, you, what, what are you saying? I'm like, oh, that, oh, he loves me. Oh, I'm going to make something special for you. I'm going to make up my jewels. You're, the, you're, you're one of my jewels. God looks at you as one of his jewels. And not a material thing, but special. You're special to him. You know, that's kind of, kind of sobering, isn't it? To think that God's paying attention to our conversation about him. That's why it's so important and as a messenger and as a minister of the gospel that we are called to minister and share, that we represent him. For those who misrepresent the nature and character of God to the people of God, whew, we don't want to do that. That's, that's bad news. That's a, you know, the teachers are going to receive a greater judgment, a more stricter judgment because of the power of influence that we have over people. How do we influence people? Do we point them in the way of the love of God and the nature and character of God? That's what we're supposed to do. That's, that's how we image him. And this is an important thing here <laughs> the Lord listened and he heard and it puts a smile on his face you know just like how do you feel this is really a poor analogy in one sense comparing ourselves to God but how do you feel when you hear people talking good about you well <laughs> you get that you know little body language going on there <laughs> or then contrary how do you feel when, you know, someone says speaking evil of you? It's like, man, that's that's not true at all. That's, that's a misrepresentation. Man, that's not really what happened. You, know, you don't say anything, but you're crushed inside. It's like, wow, man. Okay, you see. Now put that in the context of if you're the Lord. Yeah. So you get the idea. You know, we're we're made in His image. So we there's the same thing there, and it's important. Shall we stand and just thank the Lord? Father, thank you. Thank you.